Hi, this is Pastor Tom. Welcome you back to day four, week three of our look through the book of Isaiah. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 25 today. As we begin this chapter, I just want to mention that the phrase, oh my God, is one of the most common expressions of the day. We all hear it many times every day. We all see it if we're watching media, many times in media. Most of the time we say it, most of the time even Christians say it, we're not thinking about God. We're just expressing surprise. It's just an expression. It has nothing to do with God, even though it has God's name in it. Isaiah 25 has an invitation in it. It invites us to change from, oh my God, living, to you are my God, living. To, to, to change from an impersonal expression about God to a personal expression to God in our lives. To change your surprise at what's happening in this world to a sense of awe in what God is doing in this world. That's worshiping through your day. We've been talking about change. One of the keys to change is perspective, seeing things as God sees them. That's what we're talking about when we talk about this you are my God living. What does it mean to live in this way? How does it cause you to think? What perspective do you have? Well, we're going to talk about three of them together. First perspective is you have, that you have is you look at God, you are my God. You do wonderful things. Verses 1 to 5 of chapter 25. Oh, Lord, I will honor and praise your name, for you are my God. You do such wonderful things. You planned them long ago, and now you have accomplished them. You turn mighty cities into heaps of ruins. Cities with strong walls are turned to rubble. Beautiful palaces in distant lands disappear and will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong nations will declare your glory. Ruthless nations will fear you. But you are a tower of refuge to the poor, O Lord, a tower of refuge to the needy in distress. You are a refuge from the storm and a shelter from the heat. For the oppressive acts of ruthless people are like a storm beating against a wall or like the relentless heat of the desert. But you silence the roar of foreign nations. As the shade of a cloud cools relentless heat, so the boastful songs of ruthless people are stilled. You do wonderful things. These verses tell us that what God plans, he accomplishes. And all that God accomplishes, he has planned. Specifically in these verses, he talks about two things. He brings down the mighty and he lifts up the lowly. He brings down the mighty. When the prideful, the powerful lose their position, that is a you are my God moment for us. God's in control, we're not. Human beings think that they're in control. So we control a nation, so we control a region of the world, so we control certain weapons. We think we control our lives. We think we can control our world. But those nations fall. They fall. If they last 100 years, they fall. If they last two, three, 400 years, they, they fall. Different leaders come in, different rulers come in. And it shows again and again that God's in control and we're not. We're not able to hold on to the power that we have, as much as power as that, as that might seem to be in this world. You are my God. You're in control. You have the power. You are my God. You're also a refuge to the lowly. Whenever God cares for the hurting, you should say, you are my God. That's why I serve you. That's why I love you, because you care for those who are hurting. Now, he might do it through you. He might do it through the church. He might do it through a miracle. He has a lot of ways of caring for protecting the lowly. But every time he does it, every time you see him do that, when you, when you see a hurting person find healing in Jesus Christ, 
You are my God. You do things nobody else can do. So you do wonderful things. You are my God. A second perspective is you prepare a feast. Isaiah 25, 6 talks about this. In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. This verse is where history is headed. The most important fact about history is not the daily headlines that you read or the great biographies that you might read. It's that God prepares a feast for all people. And he says here specifically, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the nations of the world. Who is this? Who's the Lord of heaven's armies? Although there's not one verse that clearly states this, an extensive study throughout Scripture points to Jesus Christ as being the Lord of heaven's armies. He's the Lord. So he is the Lord of heaven's armies. And as you see the angels appearing, you see that he is the Lord of the angels. Heaven's armies are the angels. So an extensive study of all the verses about the angels, the hosts of God, the power of God, shows that Jesus Christ is the Lord of heaven's armies. Now look at this. The Lord of heaven's armies will prepare a wonderful feast for all the people of the world in Jerusalem. The, the idea of Jesus preparing a banquet for all people in Jerusalem, it's extremely powerful. In Jerusalem, Jesus went to a cross. In Jerusalem, Jesus was buried in a tomb. In Jerusalem, Jesus rose from the dead. In Jerusalem, this feast of God's forgiveness, this feast of God's salvation, this feast of God's presence, this feast of God's promises, it was prepared for all people, not just those in Jerusalem, but you got to come to Jerusalem. you got to come to the cross. you got to come to the tomb, the empty tomb, to find this feast in your life. That's what history is all about. Right in the middle of history, he did this, and at the end of history, we're going to enjoy that feast with him forever. That's the perspective we have. You are my God. Only you could do this. Only you could call all people to yourself like this. Even though we are sinners, he has a plan to bring us to himself. He has a feast for every one of us. You are my God. Third perspective. You swallow up death. When, when you think about God being your God, he is a God who can help in every circumstance of life that you face, every difficulty that you face. But if he could not do this, swallow up death, then no matter how good our lives were made here, we'd be looking forward at the end of our lives, to the greatest tragedy, separation from God. But he swallows up death. He ends the power of death. You are my God. Only God could do that. Isaiah 25, 7 to 8. There he will remove the cloud of gloom. There is Jerusalem, where we just talked about, the cross, the resurrection. He will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. When, when we hear that somebody's sick, when we hear that somebody's died suddenly, that's maybe the greatest time when you hear people say, oh my God. But for you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, when he, we hear that somebody's sick, when we hear that somebody has died suddenly, those are moments when we can say, you are my God. 
You move to you are my God living when you recognize that God swallowed up death and that that sudden death did not take away that person's life. That in knowing Jesus Christ, they have an eternity with him. Jesus did on the cross what every one of us needed to recognize that he is our God. That he is the God that we need for the greatest tragedies of life. And he solved it. He settled it. He swallowed it up. It's gone. You can't even see it anymore. Swallowed up death. These verses we've just read, Isaiah 25, 7 and 8, they are so significant. Both of them are quoted in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that can never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. That's the scripture that we've just read. And then Revelation 21, 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is our God. So verse 9 says, In that day the people will proclaim, This is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation that he brings. So in that spirit, in that heart, let's take a few moments to talk to him. And in prayer, you might just say, Father, you are my God. There is no God like you. There is no one like you. You are my God. You do wonderful things. Let me see the wonder of what you're doing in this world today as I walk through the day. The wonder of how you judge the wrong and the wonder of how you care for those that no one else would care for. You are my God. You've prepared a feast, a feast of salvation for me now, a feast of joy for me in eternity. And you are my God. You have swallowed up death. There is no more sting in death. There is hurt in it. There is loss in it because we're separated for a time before we all get to heaven. But there is no more sting in it. There's no more eternity in it because you changed all that at the cross. You changed all that in your resurrection, Jesus. You are my God. And I praise you. In your name, amen. Tomorrow, we're going to talk together about how to live lighter. Lighter. 